So yeah, uh, if you ever ha go and like drop your kids off and you get one of the pagers because if your kid goes crazy or breaks themselves and we have to page you, if you ever have one, it's all beep. It's, it's not like we're trying to make you look weird in the middle of the service. When it actually beeps like that, the battery's going dead, and so it wants you to replace it. So that's beep. Beep. So because it's summer's coming up and it gets warmer, every time those doors open, those flies come and hang out right here. So I bought this. why we don't win any softball games, because I'm just not, I swing it like a hillbilly, like that, oh, is that, really, still, oh, there's something wrong with it, it's still doing it, what is wrong with you, it's not, really, don't flip it the other way, put it on vibrate, it's going to drive me crazy, so this is for Paul, I'm going to put it right there. I was going to use it for something. I'm going to use it for something. Later. Trust me. It's all going to be part of it. It's got the evil eye. I'm trying to be very good to Paul lately. So, and uh, whatever. So, uh, we're just going to go. i got a lot to get through today. So, why don't you stand there reading God's word. Uh, this is Psalm 33, verse 1. And it says, The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Let's pray. pray. Father, uh, this morning we ask that you would... Uh, be a God who helps us to understand how we are to live as a blessing, how we are to honor you with all that we are, because you have first blessed us. Help us in turn be a blessing to those around us as you call us to. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so after last week, we are back into the book of Genesis again today. Hopefully, we'll have some fun with it, but we've got over two chapters to get through today. So I'm going to be reading a lot. We're going to have a lot of transitions just just go with me. I, I believe that you can follow all the things we're going through. It's that stuff. I, I did actually take a couple things from, from some other people I thought were really good that are all kind of stuck in here, so I am plagiarizing a bit, but it'll, it'll, it'll be fine. Uh, we're going to laugh today at some people, uh, you know, not necessarily at their expense, but if you have some relatives who live in like the, the deep woods of a backwater state, you might just relate today totally and be like, that's my family. Right there. So we'll laugh a little bit at them, but also understand the reality that we are all just like the people in the Scripture. So when we laugh at them, we're kind of laughing at us as well. It's got lots to cover. Open to Genesis chapter 45. Now, if you missed any of this, we've been looking for the last couple months at a guy named Joseph. Uh, Joseph is brought by the providence of God to be the second most powerful man uh, in the known world at that time. Earlier, his brothers had sold him into slavery because of his dreams and to get rid of him. And it has now been years and years later. Joseph sold into slavery, goes to jail. Uh, Pharaoh, the leader of the country, has a dream. No one can interpret it except Joseph. And Joseph says, this is what's going to happen. You're going to have seven years of feast and then seven years of famine. During the seven years of famine, this is what you have to do in order to feed your entire country. Pharaoh says, great, you do it. I'll take the credit and be in the parades, but you do all the work. And Joseph says, okay. And essentially, he becomes the second most powerful man in the country at that time. During this, uh, the famine, his brothers show up to seek food. And so Joseph recognizes his brothers. They don't recognize him. It takes a couple years in the midst of this, but he eventually reveals himself to his brother at, brothers after testing them. And he reminds them that through all of this that it is God who has been sovereign through everything that he has gone through. So Genesis 45, verse 8, this is where Joseph, after the reveal, says, So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me father to Pharaoh and lord of over all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. He says, 
tell our dad, I am still alive. You guys, you can come down. You can live with me. I grew up in Canaan. I know what it's like. And with the famine right now, it's like Iowa. It's flat and and humid, and nobody wants to live there. So you're going to come to me. He says, you shall dwell in the land of Goshen. And Goshen is really nice. It's in what's called the arid plain. Here's a picture. Okay? Uh, in this uh, Nile Delta up here, it's up, up, up to the right. It's not the whole thing. It's, it's part of it. But that, that's kind of where it's at. And so it's this really fertile region, and he wants to be able to get it for his family. But part of the reason he wants Goshen is it's a little bit separated from the Egyptians. He wants to preserve their culture while giving them a really nice piece of land. And, and in this, it's kind of like he's saying, I want to give you guys Santa Barbara or Montecito. There's like jet skis and boats and nice weathers. You're going to really like it. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you. Our families will get together again. I'll come over. We'll make tri-tip and bread. It's going to be wonderful. For there are yet five years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. Verse 12, and now your eyes see and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. So far, up to this point, they haven't even said Benjamin's name. And so by Joseph saying it proves again that he is who he says he is. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them because he is a crier as we have seen. Uh, After that, his brothers talked to him. So only after Joseph talks about all these things, cries on them, says, I'm going to give you guys a nice place to live, does the conversation begin to take place. And sometimes reconciliation doesn't work. But when it does, it is simply amazing as it is here. Uh, and it works because Joseph dropped his rocks, he dropped his stones, he put down all of his animosity and offered forgiveness. And this is the hope that they can live together in peace now. Verse 16, when the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers has, have come, it pleased Pharaoh and his servants. Because they're not Christians, but they like Joseph. And they're probably thinking, man, if there's more of him around, let's bring them in here, that'll be great. And Pharaoh, little do they know what the family's actually like. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land. Now he doesn't say you're getting Goshen but that's Joseph's ultimate goal and that's what they're going to end up getting. But it's in Pharaoh's mind I'm going to give you some really good real estate. Like if Egypt is a pig they're going to be living on the bacon. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Now, when we read that, you don't really understand how funny it is. When Pharaoh looks at people from Canaan, he sees people from like Mississippi. It's like, man, they got all kinds of crappy stuff over there. So when he says, have no concern for your goods, it's like saying, I know your family lives in a trailer park. They push start their Yugo every morning. So how about you leave that all there and we'll give them new stuff when they get here. If they're living on, you know, crooked Walmart furniture that comes with a little tool in the box that you got to crane like a monkey with the grinder to get it, you know, put together, leave it there. We don't want it. If you've got cars on blocks, leave them on the blocks. Don't bring them over here into Egypt. We don't want that. We don't want our property values to suffer. When you get here, you're going to get a screw gun, because that's how men put furniture together. Even if it's a cheap Walmart furniture, boom, oh, I broke it. But that's because I was using a screw gun. Right? Yeah. It says leave your light beer behind. We don't want that in Egypt. That evil stuff called light beer, or near beer, that has no idea what directions are like, because it's nowhere near beer. 
Verse 21, the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them, he gave a change of clothes. In Hebrew, literally, it says he gave them new clothes. That's what it means. They get a new wardrobe. So it's kind of like saying, leave your overalls and your parachute MC Hammer pants and your pastels and your skinny jeans and your spandex and your 80s clothes behind. You get new stuff. It's biblical. No stupid shirts with stupid slogans like, uh, I'm with stupid or, you know, silence is golden, duct tape is silver, or the super lame honey badger. Just leave that behind. If it says, yes, we could tan, you could bring that. But other than that, you leave, leave it all behind. It says, but to Benjamin, he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. That is seven and a half pounds of silver. And Benjamin probably got all the hand-me-downs growing up, all of them. So he gets all new clothes. To his father, he sent as follows, 10 donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt. Anybody got a King James Version? No? Okay, I'm going to tell you what the King James Version said. I almost read it just because it's hilarious. The King James Version says, Ten asses laden with the good things of Egypt. But if I read that, you'd just think he was sending his brothers home. <laughs> Booyah. Okay. Some of you are slower than others. That's okay. And ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provisions for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and they departed. And he said to them, Do not quarrel on the way. We have blown 22 years. Let's not blow anymore. You ride the asses. You are not one. That's what he's saying to them. And this is also really important because Moses is writing this while the Israelites are wandering around in the desert wilderness. You're constantly told they are grumbling and complaining against God. And when they look at Joseph and his character, they'd read this and say, Do not quarrel on the way. And that would remind them, yeah, and that would remind them. The, the camera's not going to understand what in the world that was for. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, don't quarrel on the way. You know, and so when they're quarreling against God, they'd really think, man, we need to be more like Joseph and stop quarreling with God along the way. And so Joseph is now going to send his brothers off, and he's going to kind of plan the reunion, how to get them all together. And I think he's going to throw a big, giant party, which means he does it like a Christian, which means he actually does it really well. It is not cheap beer and hot dogs and party wieners and... Chips, it's like, bring them, woo, bring them down. I'm just, all morning, it's going to be like this. If you're going to throw a party, it, it is fine aged wine, or it's beer that's like 10 to 15 bucks a bottle. It, it's steak. It's, it's Christians, when we party, we celebrate God. You know, if, if you party, you don't serve cheap wine if you're over 21, or Shasta Cola if you're under 21. It's like, Jesus Christ is Lord and sovereign God over the universe. Here's a weenie. That's not what it's supposed to be like. It's supposed to be steak and beef and God, you are so good. It is, it is good, fresh bread. Well, I'm on the Atkins diet. Repent and eat some bread. When good things happen, Christians are to celebrate who God is and what he has done. The prodigal son runs away, does all kinds of crazy stuff, finally comes home, the father throws a gigantic feast. Same thing, Joseph gives clothes and houses and land, provides so when his dad comes, everything is taken care of. Verse 25. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father, Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive. You know what that is? That is confession and repentance. That is what it is because they have lied for 22 years. They told their dad Joseph was torn to pieces. Here's his robe with blood on it. And now they have to come clean. And it's not easy for the brothers. But I'll tell you, nothing feels better than when you finally come clean. You don't have to remember all the lies that are swirling around. You can just say what the truth actually is 
is. It is so much better to have that weight lifted off of you. So they say, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his, Jacob, their father's heart became numb, for he did not believe them, because it's too good to be true. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. They got ten years younger in his heart. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. It's a great story, a great reveal. It keeps going, but why does it all happen? Because Jesus was their God, and people were willing to change and willing to be honest and willing to repent. That is why it happened. And the whole point of this family and this nation becomes one that brings Jesus Christ into the world. And so what you're going to see is Jacob is going to start a journey where he reunites with Joseph. Joseph has been gone from 17 to 39 years old. Chapter 46, verse 1. So Israel, and Israel is Jacob, we keep calling him that, but God changes his name to Israel. You look at a map, nation of Israel there today, named after this guy. So Israel took his journey with all that he had, so he packed his wagon, his new wagon, by the way, I might add, to go down to Egypt, and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. Now Jacob's dad was Isaac, and I think he stops to worship on the way because he's trying to seek God and say, God, do you want me to go down, go down to Egypt? His grandfather, Abraham, goes down to Egypt when he wasn't supposed to, sins all kinds, and God brings him back and says, now stay where I tell you to stay. He tells Isaac, stay in the promised land where I'm telling you to stay. Jacob sins, runs away from his family, and God takes years and years to bring him finally back to where he's supposed to be. And now it's like Joseph saying, Dad, come to me in Egypt. So he's stopping on the way to say, God, is this really where you want me to go? Is it really okay for me to leave? And God's going to say, yes. Yes, it's actually good. It's okay for you to leave. And this is different instructions for different times and different lives. It's when some people say, we've always done it this way. We can't do it any different. Well, that's just dumb because there's different instructions for different lives. There are certain laws that never change. You know, don't kill, don't steal, don't mean a boy man. You know, those kind of things, they, those never change. But this section tells you you listen to God because his instruction for you may be different than somebody else. As an example, you and I were all called to live on mission. That means wherever you are, you are to be a blessing in your workplace, in your in your school, in your home, in your neighborhood, wherever you are, you are to be a blessing. But some people have a special call in their lives, and we call them missionaries, where they go overseas to maybe an unreached people group. And so they have this special call. But we're all called to live on mission. There's a special call in certain lives to do certain things. And this is kind of what's happening. Look, there's never another step in your life right now, Jacob, and I'm going to take you down into Egypt, and it's okay. Jacob is 130 years old, and he stops to worship where his father and his grandfather's worship that means if you are a father you take your kids to church with you doesn't matter if they don't want to go it's important to you they're in your house you take them with you some college professors will tell you that the patriarchs all worship different gods and it wasn't until years and years later that monotheism christianity finally came about what moses does here is he tells you they worship the same god in the same place it's why it's written here I've had people say to me, well, we've been doing Genesis because I keep calling them Christians and stuff like that. And they say, really, why, why do you keep calling them Christians? And I've asked one person said, you can't call them Christians. And I said, well, I just did. Christians. I just said it right there. They love Jesus and we're Christians. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Ha! Huh. <laughs> Boom. I just said it. In the Old Testament, you have to understand, their God is Jesus. You go back to Genesis chapter 3, the promise that the Messiah would come to redeem the world is the promise of who? Jesus. Whenever you see God walking in the flesh on the planet in the Old Testament, it is Jesus. And so Jesus comes and makes the promise to send himself to save the entire world. The entire Old Testament is waiting for who to come? Jesus. They may not have known his name, but they're waiting for Jesus. Who do we believe came as a fulfillment of all the scriptures? 
Jesus, exactly. If you were to talk to Abraham today and you said, Abraham, who were you waiting for? He would have said, exactly. Who do we trust today? Jesus, see? 90% of the time you say, Jesus, you're going to be right. We're good. You're in church, okay? You say, but they hadn't seen him. Well, neither of you. I mean, that's kind of the point. It's not that much different. In John 5, 39 and 40, Jesus says, You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Post-resurrection, Jesus meets a couple guys walking on the road to Emmaus, and he starts to describe some stuff to them. Luke 24, 27, it says, And beginning with Moses, that's Genesis, Exodus, that's the Torah, and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. It is all about Jesus. So here the family stops to worship Jesus and offered sacrifices to the God of his father's God of his father Isaac, whose name was Jesus. Now there's no more sacrifices today, no bolts, no goats, no rams. We celebrate the sacrifice of Jesus. Verse two. And God spoke to Israel in a vision of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. Now, God hasn't spoken to Jacob for a really long time, been 20, 30, 40 years at this point. After this, it's going to be 400 years before God shows up and speaks again. And what God is going to say, it's okay to go down into Egypt. And 400 years later, God's going to show up to Moses and say, now get my people out of Egypt and come back to where I told you to go in the first place. It says, and he said, here I am. Then he, God, said, I am the God, the God of your father. Again, the God your dad worships. Same God. He said, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. And Here's the key. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Now, that is a Jewish custom where a son would close his father's eyes when he died. So he says, you're going to go there, you're going to meet Joseph, and eventually you will die there, but you and your entire family will come back out again. The big point for you to understand in this is that God goes with you, whether you're moving to another country, another city, another state, or moving to a place of reconciliation with others, God goes before you. God always goes before you because if God wasn't there, there wouldn't be there. And so he always goes before you. This separates him from all the false gods our world has ever worshipped. When I was in Thailand a few years ago, every city you go to and every little region of the city has a little different god that they're worshipping. God is a God who says, I am ruler over everything and everyone for all time, period. Verse 5, then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, their little ones, and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they gained in the land of Canaan, and came to Egypt. Jacob and all of his offspring with him, his sons, and his son's sons with him, his daughters and his son's daughters. All of his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. Have you ever had to move? Is it fun? No, packing the boxes, bringing the things, doing whatever. Try moving 100-plus people and goats and sheep in wagons for hundreds of miles. It's like herding cats. You just, we're not going where I want them to go. It's, it's kind of crazy. But this is what it's doing is it's setting up for you a genealogy. See, it's, the, the Bible is patriarchal, but it's not chauvinistic. And so what it's going to give you is some men in a genealogy. I'll tell you, the, the Bible treats women better than our culture ever has. But here Genesis is going to stress the men because men matter, not that women don't matter. We live in a world today where we don't make men. We teach little boys how to be little boys forever. Last week I went and saw Iron Man with my wife, and I walked away just thinking, my goodness, that's a little boy. All three movies, Tony Stark is a little boy. All the way through it, that's all he is. Oh, I'm a playboy. I'm a philanthropist. i got all kinds of money. And he just lives his life like a little boy. And that leads to a lot of the problems that he has because he's never had to grow up. What Genesis does is it combats that attitude. It shows us how guys grew up, how they got saved, how they quit being perverts and thugs, and they changed the entire world. 
Feminists are just so often say, well, men are evil. True, I agree, but so are women. Okay? Everybody is just evil. And if we don't look to God and how we raise our kids, what are we going to look to? See, Genesis looks at the next generation of boys and says, you know what, they matter. And society, for good or bad, is going to reflect how faithful we are to the God of the Scriptures. So I'm going to run through this. Don't just glaze over. Listen to these as we go. Verse 8. These are the names of the descendants of Israel who came into Egypt, Jacob and his sons. Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and the sons of Reuben, Hanak, Palu, Hezron, Carmi. Like a, he's like a lip balm kind of guy. The sons of Simeon, Jamu, Jamin. They started a hip-hop band on the side. Ohad, Jake, and Zoar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. The sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, Merari. The sons of Judah, Ur, Onan, Shelah, Perez, and Zerah. For Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan because they were horrible kids, and God ended up taking them out. Which tells you, relationship with God, it is single file. You don't get it just because your parents did. Do you love God in your life? Do you love Jesus? Do you walk with Jesus? And the sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamul, the sons of Issachar, Tola, Pebu, Yab, and Shimron, the sons of Zebulun, Sered, Alon, Jalil. These are the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob in Padanaram, together with his daughter Dinah. Altogether, his sons and daughters numbered 33. The sons of Gad, Ziphion, Haggai, Shuni, Esmon, Eri, Arodi, Areli. These are the sons of Ash, the sons of Asher, Imna, Ishva, Ishvi, Bariah, with Sarah, their sister. Look, there's another girl. Uh, and the sons of Bariah, Hibber, and Malkiel. These are the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to, his, to Leah, his daughter, and these she bore to Jacob, 16 persons. Verse 19, the sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife. And it's interesting, it's the only one they say is Jacob's wife in this entire line right there. Uh, Joseph and Benjamin. And to Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On, bore to him. And the sons of Benjamin, Bela, Beecher, Ashbel, Gera, Naaman, Ehi, Rosh, Mumpin, Humpin, and Ard. Kind of feel like they just ran out of things at the end, right? Like, ah, I watched the Muppets. Muppin, Humpin, and Ard. Just, either they were great fighters or they got beat up in school all day long. It's in the scriptures. Uh, these are the sons of Rachel who were born to Jacob, 14 persons in all. The son of Dan, Hushim. The sons of Naphtali, Jazil, Guni, Jezer, and Shalim. These are the sons of Bilhah whom Laban gave to Rachel, his daughter. And these she bore to Jacob, seven persons in all. I know right now you're thinking, who cares? I hate reading the phone book for my leisure time, right? Well, the next verse clarifies why it's there. Verse 26, all the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's son's wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. 70 people, not including the wives. You go 400 years later when they come out of Egypt, you know how many people they have? Millions. Millions. And it tells you, one guy starts to love and worship Jesus, millions of people could come to worship and follow Jesus. In our world today, in, in American culture, we are having less and less and less kids. And yet God tells you as a believer, be fruitful, have kids. And you guys are doing a really good job at it, by the way. We've had to expand our nursery like five times, so you guys are crazy with it. Good job, by the way. Uh, but, but in that, you've got to raise them. You've got to leave them a legacy. So that means, guys, you need to find a, a job because girls like guys who love Jesus and actually have a job. It's like a total bonus. And when you raise these kids, you want to raise them with the idea of a legacy. You know, what has gone before you? What is going to come after you? How are you going to see the world most guys do not think about their legacy they only think about tomorrow so guys you need to find a girl who you would say do i want i don't want this to be my kid's mom will this will this be a great mom for my kids that's what you got to think about you can't just think about somebody you want to spend your downtime with if you're a girl look at a guy and find a guy that wants to leave a legacy and not just have a good time or a good weekend you find a guy that wants a legacy 
the thrust of the rest of the book of Genesis throughout the end is this idea of they're now going to be living in a foreign land, in a foreign place, in a hostile environment. How do they keep their faith intact? How do they become a blessing, will not be assimilated into this culture? How do they put their life together there? Which is very relevant to you and I, because we live in Santa Maria, Lompoc, Orchid, maybe you're going to go off to college, whatever it is. How do you keep your life together where you're at, worshiping and following God in the midst of it? Now, it, it doesn't really hit that that much in the rest of this chapter, but in the following chapters in Genesis, it really comes to this idea, being a blessing and how that looks. Verse 28, he had sent Judah, that's Jacob sent Judah. Judah was the underachiever, then got saved, and now he leads his church and his family. He had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen, then Joseph repaired his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. That actually indicates he drove it himself which nobles don't do. But so Joseph is so excited to see his dad. He drives his own chariot. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept again because he does cry a lot. On his neck a good while, Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. I cannot imagine actually having a child thinking they were dead for 22 years and then getting to see them again. And they're doing great. They're like vice president or something. Then they give a good biblical cry. Not because they're listening to like Elton John records or emo rock, but a good biblical cry. And so this brings in another transition because now they're all there. Joseph has to help his his family put their lives together. He's got to coach them because Pharaoh is going to want to meet them. And when he meets them, there's all kinds of issues that come when central country uh, country bumpkins have to meet like somebody really important. It's like, you know, people from, I'm sorry, from Mississippi, really, but, you know, like that, you've got to meet the Queen of England. There's like etiquette rules that they just don't really know. So Joseph is a good leader. He's got to put this together. Verse 31, then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, my brothers and my father's household who are in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds for they have been keepers of livestock and they have brought their livestock and their herds and all that they have. Now Joseph is brilliant because it had his whole family go and they stopped in Goshen. So they're like squatting there already. Pharaoh hasn't given them Goshen, but they're already just squatting there, the hillbillies. And, and so what you got to understand from what Joseph is going to say to them, Pharaoh is going to think, crap, the hillbillies from Mississippi are here. You know, they got, they got their goats and their NASCAR and their Bud Light and their moonshine. My property values are going to suffer. I've got to find a way around this. So he says, when Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, and he says, don't jack this up. Do what I tell you. Like if you're a Christian, you're before someone who's really powerful. Be wise in what you say. You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers. Joseph says, you're supposed to say, we as farm boys, y'all. That's what you're supposed to say. In order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. I am trying to get you Montecito, so don't screw this up. You're going to come in. He's going to hate you guys. We're going to use that to our advantage. Okay? And, and, and this, again, is brilliant. Joseph is not lying. He is strategic truth-telling. It's brilliant. Chapter 47, verse 1. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. I see. Oh, really? You just put them there already? Yeah, okay. And from among his brothers, he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. And I think he chose the five craziest hillbillies of the entire lot because he wants to give a bad impression because he wants good land and for the Egyptians to leave his family alone so they can worship God. Joseph is protecting his family from paganism. And hillbillies in the big city don't do so well. Have you ever watched these, these shows where they talk about 
these Amish kids where they hit 16 to 18 and they get to go off for a few years to decide if they want to really be Amish. And they just go crazy and nuts. This is the hillbillies in a big city. He wants to give a bad impression. So Pharaoh says, yeah, you go way over there. So he grabs his like, Reuben, you get those sweats with the urine stain in them. Wear those. And Levi, make sure you have dip in your mouth and spit in a cup the whole time. And then drink out of it. Be awesome. Okay, and, and, then, and then say you all a lot. And tell them how you like lighting off fireworks and, and love to make moonshine. He says, just be yourselves. That's what he says. Verse 3. Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to the Pharaoh, just what Joseph said, we shepherd Joel. Right? Like, Reuben, you're talking to a guard. Oh, oh, that's Pharaoh. Oh, we shepherd Joel. You know, that's, that's what it is. Your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. You know, we like animals. Joseph says we're going to be neighbors. I got fireworks and moonshine. And a bug zapper. I can't hit anything. So I got too much moonshine. And then he says this. And he says this. Uh, as our fathers were. You got to understand. Th- this is this is like our daddy. He's the biggest hillbilly of them all. He has. He got the best moonshine and his fireworks. They is unreal, y'all. Pharaoh's like, oh crap! The clams have just showed up in in, in the town. Our dad, he's got a Chevy with glass packs, and he loves to drive us around the lawn on the inner tubes. It's like, oh, my goodness, this this is horrible. You're going to love him, Pharaoh. Light beer, urine stain, boombox playing Willie Nelson. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land. Literally, we've come to live here a while. Joseph says, you're going to love us as we live next door to you. Yeah. Okay. For there is no pasture in, for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And our animals are skinny, and they's hungry. So we're going to be buddies. Do you fish, Pharaoh? We fish with dynamite. <laughs> and now, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Or you can give us Montecito. What do you think? It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Verse 5. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. Isn't that great, Joseph? I'm so happy. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the lands. Like, give them Montecito. We'll bomb the roads that go there. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men, able is the word special. So if you know any special men among them, because they're all kind of special, right? Put them in charge of my livestock, because hillbillies know animals. So Joseph provides for his entire family. And the story begins to wind down. Verse 7, then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. And I don't know what it looks like, but this is simply amazing. He stands before Pharaoh, and it says, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. This kind of becomes the culmination of this story about them coming into Egypt is that right there. Pharaoh is the most powerful man in the world, tells everybody that he is God. Joseph comes to meet him. So what's going to happen when the patriarch of the faith meets a man who thinks he's God? What does he do? He blesses Pharaoh. That's what he does. Jacob doesn't worship Pharaoh. He doesn't bow down to Pharaoh because Jacob has something Pharaoh doesn't, a relationship with the living God. And I think Jacob blesses Pharaoh by walking over, laying his creaky arm and his creaky knees, and he prays for Pharaoh because the moral of the story is that everybody needs Jesus. And if you get five minutes with the most powerful man in the world, you don't freak out. You don't fall over yourself. You know what you do? You pray for them. You and I are called to be in Abraham's line if you call yourself a Christian. You are called to be a blessing. And so we have got to start to bless others with our lives. I think Jacob, you know, just crotchety old man. And I don't think he even asked. I think he walked over and says, I'm not asking. I'm telling. I'm going to pray for you. You think you're king of the universe? I know Jesus. 
boom, I think he prays for him. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days and the years of your life? Literally, how old are you? Total dude question, right? There's two questions. Don't ask a woman. It's how old are you and how much do you weigh? Because get, you get the answer, you know, old enough to kill you and big enough to make it happen. <laughs> Guys are like total opposite. You put on, you put on weight? Yeah, I'm like 525. I can't get things out of my pockets now. It's awesome. Too many chili dogs. I just keep eating them. I don't know what to do. You ask a dude, you know, how old are you? I'm 50. You look 100. I know. Thank you. So guys are like, verse 9, And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are 130. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their sojourning. So he looks bad for 130. I don't know how you do that, but apparently you do. And he's got all these crazy stories about fighting with his brother and four wives, losing his son, but his dad and his grandfather live longer than him, and he actually has 17 years left in his tank. And the, the reason some commentators believe Pharaoh asked this question is because Pharaoh is trying to attain immortality, and he has never met someone as old as Jacob. And so he's wondering, how in the world did you live so long? So sometimes when you look at things in the scriptures, you're like, man, that dude lived a long time. Well, other people thought so too. Okay, so they're trying to figure this out. It's just simply a blessing of God on his life. Verse 10, And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. There's actually a rabbinic blessing that came about because of this verse, where you would see a foreign king and you would say, Blessed be he who has imparted of his glory to his creatures. Meaning, the moral of that is, is I blessed him, I prayed for him, he's not following my God, he didn't get saved, but you know what, I'm going to still pray for him and bless him anyway. Verse 11, Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them the possession, the possession in the land of Egypt and the best of the land in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. A nice little round out at the end of that. Now, do you know that you and I, we have an opportunity to be like Joseph or like Joseph's brothers. Too many people live like Joseph's brothers. They live for the weekend and not the future. They live to party with their buddies. Oh, oh, hey, I just got paid. I'm going to spend it all at the bars and at the club. I'm going to go this and that. Oh, I don't have any money left. That is not a plan. A few years ago, my friend Luke needed to borrow 200 bucks to buy something. Now, I didn't charge him interest or anything, but he's like, I need $200. And so I, okay, let's borrow 200 bucks. And he is amazed I have 200 bucks just laying around. Now, I'm not telling you where it is because you come over for baptisms. I want you to steal it because you're all untrustworthy. I'm just kidding. But, but he's just amazed I have 200 bucks just laying around. You know, the brothers, not one of them had savings. Not one of them had investments. Not one of them had their lives together. It is sad they need to go to beg for bread when there are 11 able-bodied men. Out of the whole of Joseph's family, he's the, Joseph is the only guy who had his life together. It's not easy for Joseph. Oh, look, God blessed him. Yeah, by throwing him in jail, by making him a slave, and yet he still works hard and well. He wasn't educated to do what he did, but he learned. He worked hard. He runs Potiphar's house. He then runs the jail. He didn't sit around and watch TV all day and complain he didn't have a job. Oh, over the past six months, I put in two job applications, and oh, my goodness, I'm really looking hard. Oh, I downloaded one more, but I haven't filled that out yet. I'm really looking hard. That, that's not Joseph. See, God gives you and I permission to actually live our lives and make a plan. You don't worry about tomorrow, but you can make a plan. You stop living like everyone else because Jesus did not get out of the grave for you and I just to be like everybody else. Jesus gets out of the grave so you and I can learn and live to be a blessing to those around us. Uh, A while ago, Jonathan, one of the elders here, gave me a book. 
It's called A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm by a guy named Philip Keeler. And my favorite line in the book is when two of Philip Keeler's friends, they come and they spend a night at Keeler's home. Uh, Keeler goes with them and they're traveling a few days out of the house and one of the men can't find his hat. So he says, could you ask your wife to look at the house and see if she can find my hat? And so his wife looks around the house and this is her response to Keeler. He says, uh, I have, she says, I have combed the house from top to bottom and I, I can find no trace of the hat. The only thing those men left behind was a great blessing. The only thing those men left behind was a great blessing. You know what? That is what people are supposed to say about people who call themselves Christians. That we leave behind us a great blessing. Like Joseph. I mean, we are not to be takers. We are to be givers. We are to bless others. If you left your job tomorrow, would the people at your work be like, Oh, man, that guy was such a great blessing. We're going to be, I just can't believe we just lost that. If you moved out of your neighborhood, would your neighbors be like, Oh, my goodness, we just lost a great blessing or do your neighbors even know who you are or when you move out and they're like thank god that guy's gone got his chevy off the block in the front yard <laughs> you know thank, thank good that guy's out of you know, what, what would they say because when we go someplace and when we're gone we're supposed to leave behind us this great blessing our god has first blessed us we are to become a blessing to those around us you know what happens during this 400 years when the israelites are in egypt they become such a blessing that that country just booms when God brings them out and gives them their own land, they lose this idea that they are to be a blessing to those around them. And so God sends them back into captivity again. The Babylonians come down. They pull them off into, into captivity. You know what God tells them while they're in Babylonian captivity? You become a blessing again. You love your neighbors. You, you give to them. Wherever you work, whatever you do, you are to be a blessing to everybody that is there. And that just doesn't stop in the Old Testament. That's a whole theme throughout the New Testament, that our God first blesses us, and we bless those around us. That is how we are supposed to live. That's how we're supposed to function in this world, as a blessing. Because our God has first loved us, so we love other people. Our God has first forgiven us, we forgive other people. Our God has first reconciled to us, we bring a ministry of reconciliation. Our God has given us hope, we give hope to those around us. Our God has been a great blessing to us, and so we be a blessing to those around us. It's what we are called to be. How can we do any less? He has been such a blessing to us. This is one of the reasons we talk about communion every week because we never want you to forget the great blessing that Christ has been to you and I. That's why you take that cracker and you break it like his body is broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and I. This idea that he has saved us, he has forsought us, he has redeemed us, he has been a great blessing to us. And so we, in turn, become a great blessing to those around us. The band's going to come up. And as they do, we invite you guys to sing uh, a couple songs. Uh, as we do, if you need prayer, there'll be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer for anything, I mean, maybe you're in a spot in your life where you just, you're not living as a blessing or you feel like uh, you're, you're just always taking. Well, that mindset needs to change. And so you can pray with them. If you have anything that you need prayer for. They would love to pray with you. There's offering boxes inside and on the back. We give because God gave so much to us. Giving is part of our worship. It's part of it being a blessing as well. Uh, there's some food and stuff in the back. We invite you guys to meet somebody else, uh, be a blessing in somebody else's life. I mean, th- there are lots of things that you can do. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to start a new worldwide movement that's going to change everything around you. It can just start with you and one guy at work or one guy in your neighborhood. And you start there and start to become a blessing. And we have lots of things that different people do at Element. I mean, we have, we have like Element Moms, which, which tries to reach out to moms in our community. We, we have uh, some people who work at the, at the uh, rescue mission. 
uh, we work with another group in uh, Indonesia that does uh, clean drinking water projects, building wells and things like that. We work with another group in Thailand that gets girls out of prostitution in that country. There's just tons and tons of things that we want to be involved with to be a blessing. And if you are not a blessing anywhere in your life, you need to start simply in your home with your family and serve and follow God and bless them there and take that out of your family into your neighborhood, take that out of your neighborhood into your workplace or into your school, wherever you are. It can start small, but you need to start being a blessing because God has gotten out of the grave. He has saved you. He has blessed you so you live your life as a blessing as well. Not that it makes God love you more or like you more. You do it because you can't help but do anything else because you realize how good Jesus has been to you. And so you live as a blessing. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that we as a people would understand what it means to really live as a blessing. Not that it's, a, not that it's another weight of a law that is placed upon our shoulders, but it is just the goodness that flows out of what you have done that your great goodness and great extravagant love for us causes us to be a people who simply live as a blessing to those around us. Father, teach us to take our eyes off of ourselves and place them upon you. That we would understand that you, as our great God, have flung wide your arms and drawn your children home. And have us live as a great reflection of that blessing in our world. Father, I ask that you would teach us that to live in such a way so when we step out of a situation, people are like, oh, they were such a great blessing. Because it's not about us. It's about living for you and lifting you up in the midst of the places where we are. Because when we lift you up, you draw people to you. Other people understand the great grace you have offered to them. And they begin to live as a blessing as well. Father, it's the only way this world's ever going to change. It's by your children being a blessing and worshiping you and lifting you up. So have us today be a people who live convicted of the great blessing we are to live. And to show that to those around us. Always honoring you as our great God. Thank you for saving us and giving so much to us. Amen.